Morning everyone. Uh, today's Bible reading is taken from uh, Mark chapter 16 and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who rolled the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thanks, Leanna. Well, good morning. The Lord is risen. Amen. Amen. And it's great to be gathered together on this day to celebrate the incredible work that Jesus has done so we can have relationship with him. Do you agree with that? Amen. It's great. And right across the country, I know I went past Gateway on my way here this morning. Man, there is so many cars in that place. I don't know what they're doing, but they're everywhere. So it's great to see so many people gathering just to honour Jesus on this day, regardless of where they are. And we can rejoice in that. Well, guys, I'm going to keep to a three-point sermon so you know exactly where I'm going, what I'm doing. When you get to the third point, you can just wake up and be a little bit more lively. But I'm sure that as we go through this... There'll be something that you can actually grasp hold of. There'll be something that you'll be able to apply to your life. I really hope that anyway. So hopefully as we go through this, there'll be something new that you can learn. And so I'm focusing on this passage of Scripture, which isn't actually preached much on Easter. And the reason why it's not preached much, the section that we read is actually where it does finish in the original manuscripts. The pieces that are added underneath are actually part of the original King James. But when we go right back to where the Greek is written, it finishes at verse 8. And it's a very unusual place for Scripture to finish. What was the last thing that was said about the women? They went and told no one. Weird place for a passage of Scripture to finish. Especially when we want them to tell people. We want them to... Speak about the empty tomb. We want them to engage with everyone that they encounter. And they were told to tell the disciples. But the passage finishes with they told no one. And so those verses 9 to 20, which may be in your Bible, aren't actually in the original manuscripts. And if you've got a New International Version or an ESV, you will actually see a notation there saying, not in the original manuscripts. So in its original form, I think the passage of Scripture has incredible power. I think the passage of Scripture says something that none of the other Gospels says. I think that there's this authenticity in the middle of that, in the way that Mark actually portrays the events that occurred, and I think it actually draws us into the whole Gospel of Mark, and it causes us to dig through the rest of his Scripture to find out exactly what happened. So this morning as we go through this, I really hope that there's something that you can grasp hold of, something that you can take away from here that will change your life so you can draw closer to God. Let's just 
commit this time to prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence in this place. I thank you more that there was an empty tomb that we can celebrate. And Lord, we come to bring honour and glory and praise to you this morning. And more than anything, Lord, my desire is that we will hear your voice through this passage of Scripture. Will you reveal the truth of your word to us? Will you encounter each one of us as we have need so we can go from this place celebrating that we've met with you, Lord? That we can go from this place having learned something new, even though this story has been told over and over. Lord, we want to engage with you. We want to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, can I just have my slides up the back, please? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about this morning is the women. And, and we have these women who go to the grave. And we know from the previous passage of Scripture, as we've read through this, as I hope you did leading up to Easter, that these women were actually present when Jesus was crucified. They stood at a distance and they watched all the events that occurred. And then when Joseph and Nicodemus got Jesus' body and took him off to bury him, again, they were at a distance and they watched what occurred. They watched where Jesus' body was laid. They watched where he was buried. And where we pick the story up this morning, as we read through this passage of Scripture, we see that these women are in mourning. Let's think about what actually occurred as they went back to the grave. And it leaves me no doubt that these women are convinced he's gone. It's finished. Whatever they had hoped for, that's gone. They don't understand what has happened. They don't understand why it has happened, but they're just going to do the last thing they can to honour and glorify this man that they love so dearly. And so they return to the grave. And the night before, just as the sun sets, the Sabbath finishes, and they raced off to the markets to buy some spices so that they could actually embalm Jesus' body. And we know that Joseph and Nicodemus did that, but because they were very pressed for time, they were possibly a little bit rushed. They possibly hadn't done it before. And so the women are like, well, we need to go back and do this correctly. And the embalming process, as we know, for those guys, wasn't so much about preserving the body. It was more about creating a pleasant aroma as the decay set in. You know the term in the scripture where it says, and they were gathered to their fathers? That happens about 12 months later. They actually go back into the tombs and they gather up all the bones and they put them in these uh, um, stone boxes. And that's what they mean when they say they were gathered to their fathers. And that's why tombs are reused and things like that. There's usually only three places for bodies uh, in the tombs, in the larger ones that they have. So this wasn't about preserving the body. This was about masking the smell of decay and things like that. And and they wanted to do it for Jesus. They wanted to do something special for him at this time. And they appear to be typical in their mourning when we think about what would happen if someone had died. And so in the midst of their struggles with the death of Jesus and everything like that, they're thinking about what they should do. And we need the spices. We need to do that. We're going to have to get there early in the morning. We need to get to the grave. We know where the grave is. We're going to go there. And as they're on their way, they're like, the stone. Who's going to move the stone? And I've seen a number of these gravestones. They're not like this. They are about this big and they're about that wide. And they're in a channel. And so they're rolled in front of the doors. The reason why the doors are so low is to deter robbers and things like that. So you've got to bob down to get into the tombs. But the thing is, that is worth several hundred kilos. They are massive. They're huge. They're very difficult to move. So these three women, the chances of moving that stone are Buckley's and none. 
And so as they walk there, they suddenly realize they've got to do something about moving this stone and they do not have the ability within themselves. So who is going to move the stone for them? And verse 4 tells us they looked up. Why are they looking up? You think about a person who is mourning, a person who is incredibly sad, that they always hang their heads. And so they're walking along thinking about the tragic things that have happened and they get close to the tomb and they look up. And what do they see? They see the stones being rolled away. They see the tomb is already open. They don't know what's going on. And it's clear they weren't expecting anyone or anything to happen at the grave. They had no idea what had occurred. And the incredible thing is that barrier had been removed. It was no longer a problem for them. And you know what? This passage of scripture, it's incredible that Mark doesn't give us any details. He just deals with the facts. He doesn't say how the stone was rolled away. He doesn't say what occurred. It's just the stones moved. That's it. That's all you need to know. The tomb is now open. He's not interested and telling us much about who the ladies encountered in the tomb either. If we were to go from the Gospel of Mark, this is just a man. A man, mind you, who's wearing white clothes, which was highly irregular. They didn't actually have pure white clothes in those days. And so this man who is there is sitting inside, and we don't get told anything about him. He's dressed in white clothes, and he's a young man. And so it's up to us to research and decide for ourselves who this young man is and what all that means in the midst of this story. But the one thing we are left without any doubt is that Jesus is not present. He's not in the tomb. His body has gone. And the young man shows the women where Jesus' body had been laid. And he declares that he is risen. How do they react? How would you react? In my opinion, the narration demonstrates the exact reaction that I would expect from someone today if these events occurred. Imagine if you would that someone very close and dear to you passed away and you know that they died because you were present and saw their life expire. It is something unique. You know without a doubt that there's just a husk left. The person that was there has gone. And you have witnessed that. You have seen the life expire. And then not only that, you saw this great friend of yours, you saw their body being prepared for burial. And you got to view that. And then you saw where they buried them. And you've got no doubt at all. And so the next day, as often is the case, you return to perhaps lay flowers on the grave. Or just to, sometimes people go back just to speak to those who are deceased and things like that. You return to the grave for some reason. And suddenly you're told... They're alive, that they just left the tomb, that they left their grave. I don't know about you, but as much as I talk, as much as I speak, I would be shocked into silence. I would have a thousand questions running through my head and none of them would make sense enough for me to verbalise. I would be concerned that people would think that I was stark raving mad if I said anything at all. And so I would just be wrestling with this within my mind. 
I'm not sure what I would say. This doesn't make sense. Dead people don't decide to check out of their graves. They don't have any more choices. They don't have any more decisions to make. This is not normal. And so with the women's reaction that we see is very normal given the situation that they are facing. And they are amazed, or as the ESV says, they are alarmed. And the word here that is used is one of those things that's pretty difficult to translate, but there's an overarching sense of amazement, like, this is incredible, I cannot believe this has happened, but it's tempered with a bit of fear as well. It's like, what does this mean? If this is true, yeah, it's, it is incredible, but what, what, what does it mean? How can this happen? And so there's a little bit of fear there as well because they don't fully understand how it could possibly happen. And so they see this young man who is wearing white. He calmly declares to them that the Jesus they seek is not there anymore. That he is risen. And, you know, I could imagine the look on the woman's face and then this guy says, see, that's where he was. And I mean, obviously it's empty. There's nothing there. See, he is not here. And I don't know about you, but I would be shaken to my core. I need a mic. One, two, one, two. Good job, guys. Isn't that awesome, having someone up the back who can just transition like that? Praise God. Absolutely brilliant. So I don't know about you, I would be shaken to my core with those events. I would just be like, where has this person gone? What has happened? I don't understand it at all. And did this young man who's talking to me so nicely and appearing incredible, did he have something to do with taking the body? Was, was he involved somehow? Like, I mean, seriously, where is Jesus? You don't get up and you don't walk away. This makes no sense at all. And he said, Jesus has risen. What does that mean? I, I don't understand. I don't get it. And there are so many questions that these women would have and they've got no answers. And, and I, I wouldn't know whether to stay or go. Like, maybe if I stay, then Jesus will come back. But if I go, I can, I, maybe the other guys will come back and we can sort this out. May, I, what do we do? I mean, seriously, what do we do? And I wouldn't be able to form those words to adequately form everything that is going on in my head. And again... We see the reaction of the women is quite normal. Quite normal. And the thing is, they're given this message. And that's the second thing I want to talk about, is this message that they've been given to speak. And these women, they're in a bit of shock. And then the young man gives them this message, and he says, take this to the disciples. And what did he say? He said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The message seems pretty straightforward to us, doesn't it? And I suppose this is one of the reasons we should study Scripture instead of just reading it. When it says that Jesus is going before you, or some of the translations say going ahead of you, I'm sure that you all understand that. That Jesus is going to be in Galilee before these guys. But this is saying so much more than that. There's this great historian, his name's Thucydides, and he lived from 460 BC to 400 BC. 
And the word that is used here in the Greek, meaning go before you, is the very word that he used when he was speaking about the accounts of nearly 30 years of war between Athens and Sparta. And he uses the same word when he describes those battles as leading an army forward. That's how he uses the word which is said here, going before you. That's the word that he uses. There's also another historian. His name is Polybius. And Polybius wrote histories which cover the period of time between 264 BC and 146 BC. And he wrote about the rise of the Roman Empire. And in the middle of his accounts, he writes a first-hand account of the sacking of Carthage in 146 BC. And when he uses this word, which is translated going before you, he speaks about a commander of a huge army going forward and advancing against the enemy. If we are to take that as the meaning of this passage of scripture, what is Jesus saying to his disciples? This is the message that is given to these women to take to the disciples. That Jesus will go before them to Galilee, just as he told you. So if he's going before the disciples, where are the disciples now? Do you remember what happened to them? And it says that Jesus had already told them. It says right here, just as I told you. So what was it that Jesus had told the disciples? If we're to look back on Mark 14, 27 to 28, we'll find out that Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You will be scattered like sheep. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's earlier in the Gospel of Mark. And there's so much going on in this passage of scripture. Jesus was aware that his disciples would fall away. He, he was aware that none of them would end up standing. The only ones that remained were the women. And there was one guy at the cross. And at the very end when Jesus was buried, it was just the women. There was no one else present. And they're both in their own abilities, in their own strengths. Think about some of the things that the disciples said, that they would never fall away, they would never fail Jesus. It all proves them to be far weaker much greater sinners than even they thought they were. Even their expectations in themselves are far from met. But now Jesus, their commander-in-chief, the king of the greatest army this, ever, this world will ever experience, rallies them for this incredible fight that we're a part of. It's the greatest fight they will ever face in their lives. And he's calling them as a new people who will have a new strength. They'll have a new ability to stand when opposition opposes them. And they will take up their crosses and follow him. They will stand upon their convictions. They will end up being incredibly powerful men. And what do we know of the disciples? They rallied to Galilee. They stood with Jesus. And most of them stood so firmly, they were martyred for their faith. Now the choice of Galilee is significant also. Where was the hub of religious beliefs at the time? It was Jerusalem. Everything that happened in praising and honouring and glorifying God happened at Jerusalem and happened in the temple. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no more. We are going to go to Galilee. This is where it started. 
I want you to come to Galilee. And so there's this fundamental shift, this focal point of worshipping God has shifted from the temple in Jerusalem to Jesus. Jesus is the rallying point. And it's about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, which we celebrate today. He indicates that he has conquered sin. He has conquered death because he rose from the dead and the tomb is empty. It's no longer about endless sacrifices and ritual. It's about a relationship with God and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus is rallying his believers to Galilee so that they can see he has triumphed over sin and death. He is Lord. And when they see him, they will be restored. The only problem is, if you, like I believe, that Mark finishes at verse 8, we have a problem. It finishes with it being said that the women said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And so I want to speak about the result of this. That's the third point this morning. Are you getting excited? We're almost finished. That's good. And there's so much that could be said here. I'll try and keep it relatively brief. If this story were fabricated, if this story that we follow was simply not true, there is no way anyone would write or entrust women to be the witnesses. I'm sorry if that offends you women, but it is a fact in history. There is no way that they would write women into this story. For those of you who have been part of our Colossians series, which we've recently completed, you know, women were marginally better than slaves. They were the property of men. They had no rights. It was the men that had all the rights and everything within the house. And it is actually Jewish law that there needs to be at least two witnesses to anything that occurs. So there had to be two witnesses in order for a matter to be ruled upon. And guess what? They could not be women. Men? That's fine, of course. But they couldn't be women. It wasn't acceptable. And uh, women, just so that you know these two witnesses, they could not be women, they could not be slaves, they could be not, not be minors, or lunatics, or deaf, or blind, or wicked, or contemptible, or relatives, or other interested parties in whatever charge was being brought. Wow, they really group you together with a nice lot of people there, don't they? But the thing is, women were not accepted as reliable witnesses. So if this was not a true account, if this was fabricated, we'd use men. We, we would say it was two guys that testified to the tomb being empty. And you know what? I think this is God again elevating the position of women. I, I think he's saying, you know what? They're on an equal footing with you guys. And I'm going to use these people that you think are weak, these people that you think aren't worth it, and I'm going to let them tell the greatest story that has ever been told. I'm going to entrust these three women with this incredible story. And without them, you're not going to hear about it. Because they're first-hand witnesses. They're the ones that went and saw. And what is also not mentioned, which I think gives strength to this account, is... The presence at the tomb of the soldiers. Because when you think about this in context and in order, there's no way the women would have known about the soldiers that were placed at the tomb. When they saw Jesus get buried and the stone get placed, that hadn't even happened. So they went home 
and got up the next day and went back to the tomb, not knowing that there'd been some soldiers placed at that tomb. And so when they were thinking about the complications of opening the tomb, they weren't saying, how do we overpower those soldiers? They were just thinking about the rock that they had to move. And for me, again, that adds substance to this being a true account of what actually happened. And then we have this abrupt finish. The women have not told anyone the message that has been given to them at the close. But of course, it's ridiculous for us to even speculate that the women remained silent for long. You know that shock and awe and wonder? Yeah, I, I think that would have been me. In fact, if it happened right here, right now, I'd possibly walk out of here without talking to any of you. I'd be like, well, what just happened? This is incredible. I... And you'd be going, Charlie's got no words. Wow. But seriously, that's, that's how it would be for me. And that's how it is for the women. But when they gather their thoughts and they're like, you know what? Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. This is incredible. We need to tell people. And we know that this occurred because the rest of the gospel tells us about that. So we can appreciate the shock, the awe, the confusion that they would have been struck dumb or silent if you like. But then the miracle is too great for them to remain silent. They have to tell someone. If you were told a secret like this, could you contain it? I couldn't. I'd have to tell someone. You know that Jesus that we thought was the Messiah and everyone thinks he's dead? Guess what? He's not. I mean, I would have to tell someone. I would have to share it. And I believe that's what happened with these women as well. And we know this by looking back at what is said in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And one of the examples is Jesus' transfiguration. This is what happened in Mark 9.9. 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is contained in Mark. So it wouldn't even be in Mark if the women didn't tell someone. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, because that news has got out, this is contained in the Gospel of Mark. And the women told what they saw and the message that they received. And we can likewise fill in any other gaps that may be present. Everything that Jesus has spoken in this Gospel has been fulfilled. He said that the disciples would be scattered, but they came together again to Galilee. And here's this special mention of Peter. This speaks to me. How does this guy feel? This is a guy who wanted to be the best for Jesus. This is a guy who wanted to be able to say and live it out that I would lay down my life for you. That's me. I, I so want to do the right thing for Jesus. I so want to be everything he wants me to be. And he messed up. So do I. And he's gone from being a confident disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ to being the lowest of lows. He feels he is worthless, that he's without hope, that he's lost. And in Mark 14, 29, he had this incredible boast. Even though they all fall away, I won't. I am more committed to you, Jesus, than all of these. I love you more than all of these. And now he knows that they were empty words. He, he didn't have the ability to stand. And so the women were told, you tell the disciples and Peter. And it wasn't a slur. 
He goes, you know what? I know he messed up. But he's where I need him to be now. He knows it's not about his ability. He knows it's not about his strength. He knows he can't do it. And now I can. And we know that Jesus stood by the Sea of Galilee. I've stood on this beach where Peter, where this supposedly happened. And Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And this is the restoration for him, where he knows what Jesus is really asking. And he humbly submits to Jesus and his authority, and the rest is history. So tell my disciples and Peter. And when we get to the end of this Gospel of Mark, we have Jesus waiting symbolically in Galilee. We have these women who haven't told the disciples that they need to go. We have the disciples scattered like sheep, not knowing that Jesus is waiting for them to arrive. But because of the other accounts that we read in God's word, we know that the story continues. We know that there is more. And there's another truly outstanding message in the Gospel of Mark, which I think a lot of us overlook. Let's go back to the very first verse of Mark. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what Mark is all about. It is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why does the book finish where it does? I suppose for some people this is a no-brainer. You get this, you understand that the gospel isn't complete in this book of Mark. But for some people this may be a true revelation. This may be something that they've never understood before. Because when we speak about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we often hear that it is about the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And although that's a very significant part of it, that is not all of the gospel story. It is part of the gospel. It is of paramount importance. Without it, none of us would be here today. And without Jesus dying in my place, I would have no hope of a life and a life eternal with him. But according to Mark, Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying in my place, and rising again to life, proving that he has conquered the power of sin and death, is only the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the question is, if it is only the beginning, what is the rest of the gospel? What is it that we are supposed to be doing? What is it that we are supposed to believe? And the gospel is the good news for everyone who will believe. And when we think about what the gospel is, the new story that began as a result of Jesus rising from the dead and going before his disciples to Galilee to muster that army, we are part of that army. We are the next chapter in the gospel story. The Gospel of Mark finishes where it does because it's only the beginning of the Gospel. And the question is, for us today, we celebrate the empty tomb, but are we willing to join with each other and continue the Gospel message that we have been called to do? We are all sinners, just as we saw that the disciples were. They were scattered. 
And we are no less susceptible to the fear that the disciples faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are no less likely to be struck dumb when when we're confronted with some of the amazing things that the Lord Jesus Christ does. With some of the amazing news that often comes our way. But our mandate is to speak of a saviour who is not buried. He is not in the ground. He is alive. The tomb is empty. And our fears are ill-founded in the wake of our saviour who goes before us. He rallies us just like he rallied the disciples to his cause. He did it for the women. He did it with the disciples. And he did it with Peter who felt the least of all. And our rallying point is still Jesus Christ. We are called to not be afraid. God is with us. It echoes all through the Bible. And our God is the God of of the unexpected. Empty tombs. Who would have thought? And he calls us off into places where we least want to go. He asks us to do things that we're not comfortable with. But he goes before us. He empowers, he equips, and he strengthens, just like he did with the disciples. He doesn't leave us wanting. He provides everything we need for the task that he has planned for us. So what is the gospel story that we are living for Jesus? He started it. And if you made a declaration that he is your Lord and Saviour, then you've chosen to believe. My friends, the gospel in a nutshell for me I was justified. I was put back into right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his Father because of what Christ did upon the cross. My sins are forgiven. And if I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, I'm saved. So I was saved when I first made that commitment to my Lord and Saviour. But I am called to live a life that is sanctified, that is set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the disciples were rallied back to in Galilee. And so my sanctification is my daily setting apart the life that I could live and choosing to live for Jesus, a holy vessel for his use and his purposes, not my own choices. So each and every day as I commit my life afresh to him, I am being saved. And ultimately, there'll be our glorification. That day when this body will be no more. And I will stand in God's presence in heaven. No more sin, no more pain, no more heartache, no more struggling. That is going to be an awesome day. And I'm going to see him face to face. I will be saved. And that'll be the last time that I need to be. And it's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be an incredible time. All because the tomb's empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus doesn't manifest himself in the flesh before us. There's no angel that comes and tells us that we can believe. We believe because we've heard a message. The same message that's come down through thousands of years. The report that the women ultimately gave. He is risen. Let's pray. Father God.
words fail us. We don't know how to thank you for the incredible gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he died upon the cross for us after living a perfect life. And Lord, we don't even begin to understand what those women were feeling on that day when they found the tomb empty. But Lord, we're so glad that that occurred so we can know that Jesus has conquered the curse of sin, that he's overcome the power of death. And because he has gone through that, Lord, we don't need to. We are going to spend life and life eternal with him. Father, I pray for each one of us that we will have a realisation of the truth of those words this morning. That, Father, we will be able to rest in you and the story that you have allowed to be proclaimed for the last 2,000 years. And Lord, more than that, I pray that this morning we will realize that we can rally to you afresh. We can do that this morning, Lord, and we can declare that we want to live our lives more for you and less for ourselves, as you always intended your followers to do, Lord. We want to have the strength, the power, the spiritual wisdom that the disciples had so we can live for you, Father, so we can bring others into the kingdom. Father, nothing's impossible for you. Will you allow Holy Spirit to minister to us, to challenge us who need to do some work with you this morning? And Lord, help us not to leave without doing that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.